We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, digging into some more golf talk. People love golf talk. I love talking golf. I like talking golf. I like very much to talk into golf. But today, if you want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, let's say, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, and something you enjoy about this show. Boom, you're in the draw for 100 DraftKings dollars. Winners announced on Monday show. If you want to be in a $20 draw for the video version, smash! The like button for the episode, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. You tell me who's going to win the Masters, okay? Or at least who you're betting for the Masters, and you'll be in a draw for 20 DK dollars. Winners also announced on Monday's show. Joining me, a bit of a pivot off the normal type of guests that we have on, the associate editor of GolfDigest.com. I call him Stephen Hennessy. In Francais, <laughs> he would be Etienne Hennessy, but we'll just call him Stephen Hennessy. What's going on, my man? And nothing much, Pat. Appreciate you having me on. I'm obviously a huge fan of yours, and we're cohorts for the uh, the Golf Digest betting column, so it's nice uh, to have a conversation like this. I'm pumped for it. Yeah, well, it's probably a little bit different. That's kind of the one thing I really wanted to hammer down on is like working for Golf Digest uh, at a point last year, you guys start getting into producing betting content, or at least a betting article. Now there's a betting and daily fantasy article. So 
when this first comes up, like, how does that work at Golf Digest? Because for ages, like, it's not a magazine or even a website that, like, gives out picks on things. And it's something, like, I notice on TV as well. Like, especially being in Canada, we have, like, you know, on our ESPN, we have golf shows. But on the golf shows, no one ever, like, gives a pick or, like, breaks down a tournament. We're like, hey, this guy has a really good chance of winning this week because this course really suits him well. It's like, you know what's great? The wine near the course. Like, how does the leap go from like that part of everything and like skills and what to do in golf and like here's a great way to play this type of bunker shot into translating more over into picks and analysis and that kind of thing right yeah well with the legalization in the u.s uh in 2018 i think we saw you know pretty quickly where it was going to go from a content standpoint and what the desire would be for golf specific betting content so um you know at golf digest we acted pretty quickly, I'd say, compared to other traditional media companies. So, you know, we started that betting column that we talked about that you're a part of. And, you know, we have a PGA Tour caddy, a part of it, given their picks each week. So I think we thought, I mean, right away, a couple, we're, we're lucky in that we have some young leadership at Golf Digest. So we kind of knew right away where this would be going. And we tried to look immediately and say, you know, what's the immediate desire? What's, you know, in a year, where do we want to be in three to five years? Where do we see this going? So um, I thought, you know, I'm, I was the resident Jersey guy. Uh, we're, we're based, we were based in Connecticut for years. Now we're at the one world trade center in downtown New York, but they looked to me being the Jersey guy. And they're like, where do you see this going? I was like, this would be cool. Um, you know, to kind of offer this, you know, kind of robust betting, uh, picks each week from you know seven industry leaders one of whom is yourself so that, that's kind of how it got going yeah and when people click on that article and they see my picks they're like this guy's a fucking joke he was terrible <laughs> and they're not wrong i'm not gonna lie to you but 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 you say like the young leadership and that's what i've really noticed is that a lot of traditional media outlets that have ended up and i'm not saying like going from traditional media to we're only talking about gambling and picks i mean there's obviously a happy balance that you need to find between it but the young leadership you talk about, they do seem more willing to take this on where like how many like olds work at your office? Well, it's an, I'm basically like in the middle now at golf. Okay. Digest. And when I started, so I'm 31. And when I started in 2011, so this is my ninth year, I'm getting pretty old. Um, I was the youngest one for like five years. There was one other uh, colleague who was hired after me, but I was the youngest one for five years. So there are a lot of olds, um, a lot of boomers in the office, but now I'm like very middle-aged. Um, we have a, a company golf tournament every year and it's cut off by, you know, olds versus the millennials. And I was like barely a millennial this year. So I think that kind of says where we're going as a company, we're becoming way more digitally focused than we have been for the last, you know, three to four years. So that's definitely helped um, with, with a lot of things and specifically in the betting realm. So how do the, even let's say people in their forties, 40 and up 45 and up, how do they feel about when you write about golf and you're doing stories about golf, that betting is now a part of that. That's a part of like the analysis that comes along with it. Is it, do they feel resistance to it or do they get it as well? No, they definitely get it. They see, um, you know, the potential uh, positives, you know, revenue wise and where this could go and things that you and I have talked about before. And you've talked about so much on your show of, you know, integrating the betting odds into a telecast, you know, us as a content, uh, you know, media 
rights company, you know, we kind of see where this could potentially go and we want to be at the forefront of it. And we're kind of in a unique position too, uh, now with our partnership with the PGA Tour, you know, for those who don't know, uh, Discovery Communications acquired Golf Digest last May. So um, Golf TV, which owns all the international uh, TV rights to the PGA Tour is also under that Discovery umbrella. So you know, we're kind of in that same uh, media company that owns all the international PGA Tour rights TV-wise. So, um, you know, we want to be kind of thought leaders in this area because we know, you know, in two to three years from now, you and I would love to see where, you know, there's a, a TV feed with betting odds and there's, you know, folks like yourself who are kind of breaking it down from broadcast standpoint, all the things you've talked about before in your show. Um, I think, most people at Golf Digest have have gotten that. Um, and I would say it's interesting because when I started, I would have never have thought I would be like the leader of all of our gambling content or even that we had this like robust gambling content plan. And, you know, we have three of us who are uh, kind of doing uh, sports betting analysis and we have a podcast now that we started. So it's definitely exciting times and cool to see how it's evolved. So I actually didn't know when I when I heard like Discovery bought Golf TV, I thought that was like Discovery Channel, and I was like, that seems really weird. Well, it is. Well, yeah. so so it's all the same stuff. Yeah, all all those you know HGTV, um, all you know Animal Planet, all, all all those channels. So Golf TV is essentially under that same umbrella as uh, Discovery Channel. Yeah, like I, I know because I'm up in Canada that instead of going to the PGA Tour website to watch like PGA Tour Live or PGA Tour Live, it's never been clear to me which one it is. Do you live <laughs> under par or do you lie? Or is it live under par? I don't it's know. Just, it's just a mindset, Pat. I guess so. It's, it's however you're feeling that day. <laughs> but I have to go to Golf TV in order to watch the same round. So does that mean that the PGA for their live under power and their featured groups is out there filming and doing commentary. And then it's just being repurposed for golf TV internationally. Cause it's like the same feed. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, it's that feed is kind of transmitted to golf TV and then golf TV transmits that uh, internationally. So for, for some events, there's like a, a different broadcast crew uh, for the president's cup. We had our own, um, the Zozo, I think the same. And the Skins game was was our event. We kind of put that on in conjunction with the PGA Tour. So we we kind of owned that uh, from a broadcast standpoint. Um, so yeah, for now, it's kind of the same broadcast. It's just kind of how it's transmitted internationally. Well, that's really interesting to me. I really didn't want to get into broadcasting talk and depending on when people listen to this, because this is going to be a fairly evergreen type show that people can go back to, listen to six months from now, see how much our opinions have changed on some of the stuff, see where the industry's at. But I've really been hammering down on the broadcast stuff. And people know that about me, like past three, four, five years until I get my green zone, red green zone, golf shot by shot fantasy channel or gambling channel. I'm going to keep hammering down on all of this, but it'd be really interesting if golf tv at some of these events like you said if they're going to do their own broadcast for the president's cup or the zozo at events where they can do that or even take in a feed from pga tour live and put different broadcasters on it that could be a real potential way to do a lot about what we're talking about broadcast wise that all of a sudden there's this international feed that isn't accessible to the people in the u.s almost like I know for ages, like, I would watch the, the CBS broadcast on Sunday. But if I could go online and find a feed of Sky Sports, I much preferred to watch it on Sky Sports. That 
And then eventually it did seem like there was a little bit of influence that carried over to the U.S. broadcasting once, you know, the PGA Tour and these broadcasters saw that you know internationally they were doing a much better job. That if Golf TV jumped on that, incorporated some of the things that we were talking about, if they were able to do that, it might actually push the PGA Tour and that product forward. And then there would be a trickle up effect to some of the more major broadcasts. At least, hopefully, that that would be my game plan if anyone was to do that. So I find that really intriguing. That there is there's a wedge there where cool stuff can really be done. Yeah, I think you and I are on the same page there. And if it, if it were up to us, there would be that, you know, green zone, uh, you know, cut sweat show that uh, you and Feinberg have perfected over the years. I would just put you guys on it and let you run with it. But yeah, um, well, you know who wouldn't like that? The PGA Tour. <laughs> you, you say would, that, but it would, it would just be like, fuck, he missed. <laughs> right. That'd be the entire show. Highly entertaining, though. I mean, I think they, they could even see that. Um, but I think the tour you know, give them credit for seeing where this is going. Um, I think, you know, you reading some of the, the tea leaves of where this is going in terms of betting specifically with their uh, rights deal with IMG Arena, uh, which is a, a data company um, based in, in Europe uh, that they had a deal with uh, starting, I think, at the end of last year. But it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. I mean, you know, I've seen some testing of that product. So it could be something where, and again, this is something you've talked about a lot, but it's a par three hole. Um, there's odds of, you know, a particular group and a player to hit the green and make a birdie, you know, a three-way match bet, uh, between three guys. And, you know, what that allows the tour to do is use their shot link data, which is now synced with the IMG arena deal. And now all of a sudden you have specific odds for that hole. So if it's, you know, the Sanderson farms, uh, 13th hole to part three and Jason Kokrak's in the same group with Sam Ryder and Chesson Hadley just to pick random guys. Then all of a sudden you have specific odds for those guys based on their past performance on part three scoring strokes gain. It would make a lot of sense. So I think that's kind of where it's going. And um, it's where we've seen this going for a couple of years, but that's why it's so exciting to kind of hear the tour being proactive in these ways and seeing that, a product like that isn't too far away. Now, is it just the bubble that I live in, in the Twitter world, in the online world of like gambling, golf, and daily fantasy golf? Are, are we just too mad about all of this stuff all the time that it makes us seem petulant? Like, cause you're sort of a hybrid between both worlds. I, I feel like at least, and that we, you know, we want it now. We want it now. And it's not that we do want it now. I don't want it to come. I mean, I would love for it to come out next week, but it feels like if we don't consistently complain about it, that they're just going to be complacent about it. I know that the players, you know, they're developing an app that's coming out. But for WGC Mexico, you know, as a part of this, they revamped their app and I downloaded the new app. I was like, all right. And it's like, it's, it's terrible. It made it worse. So like, is anyone there like product testing it? Like, shouldn't that be someone's job? Um, that's an interesting question. I don't know enough about the, the app development of the, the tours uh, scoreboard uh, specifically, but I have seen all the, the feedback on Twitter and it's been interesting. And I, I don't disagree with, with everybody. Um, but I, I think part of that frustration, you know, from folks like yourself and everyone in the golf Twitter gambling Twitter, uh, specifically is that you, you kind of know that you're right, that there should be this feed, um, you know, to cater to the DFS and betting community, because there's obviously an appetite for it. You know, DraftKings data 
says that golf is the third or fourth most popular sport on their platform, depending on what time of year it is. And, you know, that kind of tells you all that you need to know um, about the level of interest in that DFS uh, betting world. And, you know, with the tours relationship now with DraftKings, I think things are happening um, that in a year from now, we're going to be in a different place. And I think, you know, folks like yourself are going to say, man, they actually were listening to all my complaining for the last four to five years. And, um, you know, I, I hope the end result of that is the Pat Mayo, um, you know, cut sweat show on PGA tour live. That would, that would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to stop complaining until they write me a big check to do work for them. So that, that's just, that, that's going to be like my agency and all of this. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep complaining until I get paid, then I'll shut up. Right. And why not if you continue to get paid for, you know, the, the good stuff that you're doing, it, it, it makes all the sense. But I think, you know, like I said, if you read what the tour is doing and think of, think of it from the tourist perspective too, which, you know, people probably don't want to always do, but you know, they have a product to protect themselves. You know, integrity of the game is, is so important, especially in golf. So you have to make sure that's not compromised at all. And the tour has, you know, done that since PASPA came out and, May 2018 is, you know, they've been proactive in, in making the steps that they see necessary to kind of see a product like we're talking about come to fruition. So they've gotten on the same page as the tour players, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of regulations that they have to abide by. So not to get so, you know, governmental about it and, you know, speaking like I'm big brother, but th that's kind of what, from the tourist perspective, they they have a you know a huge billion dollar business to protect. So if they could do the things that you've been talking about for years, I think they want to do that. And if you read, you know, the IMG arena deal, the DraftKings deal, the players, you know, showing every shot that they're going to do this year, it would be pretty cool if they could do that going forward. And, and if they could figure out a way that they're going to do that, do that. I'm really worried about this showing every shot at the players because I'm, I'm excited for it. But the PGA, at least in terms of their actual like technical development, I'm talking about like the app side of things, <laughs> has been way behind. Uh, and like the Masters set a precedent last year. The Masters app was excellent. They showed every shot almost, not in real time, but if I wanted to see if Emiliano Grillo, uh, when the website was wrong and said that he bogeyed number 17, then all of a sudden it got switched to a four. I knew that because I went on the Masters app and looked at the shots. I was like, oh, I can see the video of this. This is perfect. I just worry that there was a lot of pressure put on them to catch up to that point, at least for one event. And that's what they're doing at the players. And it makes the most logical sense to do it at the players. It's the home base of the PGA tour. They'll have the most hands on deck in case something goes wrong. They'll have the most cameramen, everything. They can set up TPC Sawgrass the way that they want in terms of cameras. And that's the overlooked part for a lot of this stuff, especially if you have something like you know, the Northern Trust for example, where it's played on a rotation of courses. Now, they are similar courses, but if you go from Paramus one year to Boston one year to Chicago one year or whatever, it would be difficult to know where to put the cameras the first time around. There would be trial and error with that. So at least for TPC Sawgrass, they know the grounds, they know where they can put the cameras, everything like that. But if they felt forced to do this and the product is completely unsuccessful, the app doesn't work, the technology is not there, it's not enough not necessarily real time but you know we see all the shots but it doesn't come out till five hours after the round is done that if it is a disaster i could see them not necessarily scrapping it but it's a huge step backwards 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. They would probably delay it until, um, you know, they could figure everything out and make sure it's the product they want to deliver. But I would say that they had, I know they have been um, testing this uh, for the past couple months. So I, I would think, and to your point, you know, TPC Sawgrass is right in their backyard. It's a course that always hosts the players. So, you know, they know where they could put all the, all the cameras and make sure it's successful. And I don't think it's something that they saw at last year's masters and they said, Oh, we should do this. I think that was probably in the works for a couple of years. So I would be a little more optimistic about, you know, it being a success this year. I think it will be. Um, anything that like we talked about, like if there's going to be resistance or not for some of the older generation as it pertains to golf digest, how do these betting and DFS articles do compared to like, I'm not talking about like click, not necessarily clickbait articles, but like story of the day, Paulina Gretzky picks like that's going to do well. When I used to work at SEO, uh, when I used to work as like an SEO specialist at a website, like I know what rates in terms of getting clicks, but in terms of like the general general articles, the long form stories, or like even if I look at Golf Digest today, there's a article about the senior tour. Like, do those articles do well? I can't imagine that they do. (laughs) Now you're talking really nitty gritty in my world. Um, I, I oversee all the equipment instruction and golf course content for golfdigest.com too. Um, but no, the, the betting stuff performs very well. I, I think I saw a stat uh, last week. I think um, the weekly betting column that you contribute to does 22% better than your average uh, story on our website. So, you know, there's obviously an appetite there. It's only going to get more that, you know, the more States uh, pass legalization of sports betting. Um, and I think there's more that we want to do too, um, from a content standpoint. So I think we've kind of, it's just the start of what we want to be doing in this space. And, um, you know, it's cool to have everyone kind of embrace that. I mean, it's even, you know, just conversation in the office, uh, you know, four or five years ago, I would have been a little scared to talk, you know, betting on the Honda classic, uh, amongst my coworkers, but, you know, now everyone's, you know, almost my age, you know, it's, it's way younger. Uh, it's legal to talk betting now. And, uh, you know, we're, we're yelling at the TV on Thursday uh, of, you know, Chapultepec because Ben on four putted and everyone in the office is laughing. Whereas before, you know, I might've gotten fired my, my first year at golf digest. So, so well, it's fun to see. Well, well, that's the thing. And that's the thing that I've really noticed from like old style, traditional golf media to new is that, there's an investment from the people doing, whether it be me or Feinberg, the tour junkies, Wiley, mm. Gup. I don't want to leave anyone out. Kenny and Tambo. Everyone yeah. does really good work, but there's a personal investment in that. And it seems to make people pay attention a whole lot harder. Like when they talk about growing the game and growing the tour, the reason that I think that something like the green zone or even having shot tracker at every single course, and you had mentioned Sanderson Farms, mm-hmm. is if you can get people into gambling or daily fantasy on DraftKings and get them to play a lineup, really un- understand how it works, and then they have the incentive to follow these people around at the Sanderson Farms, you don't need to rely on CBS or NBC to make some of these guys into stars. Like, there's no reason for me to know 200 players on the PGA Tour, a handful of guys on the Corn Ferry Tour, people on the Sunshine Tour, the European Tour, but I bet on this stuff. Like, I want to become knowledgeable about it, and then I follow it. Like... Daily fantasy slash gamblers for versus traditional golf media people. Who do you think knows Adam Shank better? 
<laughs> exactly. It's the DFS and gambler guy because, you know, you have a personal investment in Adam Shank's performance, whereas, you know, normal golf fan or country club guy, you know, has no investment in Adam Shank and maybe has heard his name, but beyond that doesn't really care about him. And I think that's obviously what the tour has seen in terms of engagement um, with their product is how successful since they've embraced, uh, you know, the DraftKings relationship and betting wise, um, you know, what that's done for engagement in their product. And they've seen the early successes of that. So that's why you're just going to see that continue to grow. Um, you know, especially I could speak to golf digest specifically, but I think among other traditional, uh, outlets as well. So I don't play nearly as much golf as I used to, uh, especially mm. over the last 10 years. Growing up, I played a ton of golf. Uh, I'm from a part of the country where not a lot of golf can be played year-round. Uh, in fact, it cannot be. So we get like a good seven months in. More so now, global warming, top-notch stuff. But <laughs> anyways, what's that? Good for golfers at Global. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good for golfers who live in generally uh, cold climates. You know, you can start in like March and squeeze it until uh, maybe early November now if everything breaks right for you and there's not a whole bunch of snow. Either way, but I would play like 50, 60 rounds a year, junior membership, just go out all day, play 36 holes, try to play more. Basically get mm -hmm. dropped off in the morning and stay until it got dark out. And I know that there's right. a lot of people that I grew up that were like that. I end up moving. I live in Manhattan for a bit. I live in Jersey for a bit. I live in Toronto. Uh, not the most accessible golf courses in the world, and the ones that are are a bit out of my league in terms of finances. So I don't really care about like equipment stuff and things like that. How does that do as it pertains to the digital side of Golf Digest? Because I'm always really curious, because Golf Digest to me is something that I would see in the doctor's office, and I would go right. in and, or a dentist's office, or people would be reading it on a plane, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But digital-wise, I would still think that the people who were the most concerned about the equipment are still the people that buy the hard copy of the magazine. Yeah, so you know we're still the number one um, printed magazine. At, I think 1.6 million subscribers. So you know number one over Golf Magazine by a little bit. But what we're most excited about is that we're number one amongst all golf websites. Um, last year, we surpassed even the PGA Tour .com, um, You know, which is big because they have the leaderboard that everyone checks all the time. So. Um, and funny enough, equipment is usually number one for us okay. at the end of every year, because search wise, if you think about it, people are searching, you know, best drivers, best irons, et cetera. And our hot list is kind of like the Bible for buying new golf equipment. So that ranks, you're talking SEO before that's, that's my world. That's, you know, number one, it ranks high for us. Uh, in addition to the, the PGA tour wags. So the Pauline and Gretzky, uh, you know, the, the dad Simpsons of the world, you know, that does well for us too, but, um, the hot list is number one. Uh, and obviously instruction content, that's the bread and butter of golf digest. It's always what to play. So equipment, where to play golf courses and how to play. So, um, you know, that's, that's always going to be the staple of golf digest and, you know, now mix in a little golf betting too. And it's kind of like a fourth pillar in my world. Yeah, so you have the golf betting that goes along with this, because I think that's the real key to expanding all of the interest in betting and gambling, is how do you take those people and not necessarily make them into betters? Because, I mean, that would be the ultimate end goal. But it's not like, oh, I like to buy this new wedge because I read about it on Golf Digest. Oh, I also read this column about betting. I'm going to go put 100 bucks on Justin Thomas to go win. There, it's sort of like the South Park underpants gnomes that you know you have – 
the underpants, you have the question mark, and then you have the profit. What is this middle part that we get to to have that translation between the people who would never bet on something and converting them into gamblers or DraftKings players? Is it instructional on how to bet? Is it this is what this means when you see like minus 120 in front of something? Because that's strangely one of the biggest things that I found. I found this more from the football world because at least golf odds are very logical. It's like, oh, he's plus 2,800. What does that mean? So it means he's 28 to 1. If you put $100 on him to win, you would get $2,800 back. 10 280, it makes a lot of sense. When you start putting the minuses and pluses with weird numbers, like what does minus 400 mean? Now, it means if you put down 400 on something, you would win $100. That means that person is a heavy favorite. But I find that most of the people who aren't like enamored in the world of betting just really don't understand that part of it. Yes, and that's kind of where Golf Digest sees itself in this landscape is we've always been kind of like the Bible for the golfer. So we see ourselves as educating you know, the, just the normal golfer um, of what all this means. So, you know, you're talking to your audience about, you know, the Honda Classic and, you know, you're dropping each way and you're dropping, you know, parlay and top 10 and the normal golfer, if they listen to that and they're uneducated, you know, you're, you might be talking over some of their heads, but where we see ourselves is, okay, you know, let's explain what an each way is. And I think part of it, is on the the sports book operators, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, you know, William Hill, everybody, BetMGM. It's uh, marketing it a little bit so it appeals to the golfer a little more. So, and you know, it's something you've talked about before too with with other sports. You know, people betting on the Super Bowl. Um, you know, how do you then convert them to sports betters, not just with their box pools at the Super Bowl? So, you know, the golf equivalent would be you know, people doing a master's pool, how do we get them to just pay attention to the, the betting space um, and, and just have a little knowledge about it, you know, for the entire PGA Tour season. So I think that's where we see ourselves coming in is um, educating the golfer. And, you know, you do a good job of it. Action Network has, has done a good job of it, uh, you know, being in the field a little bit. So um, I think it, it's kind of, and I, I think you'll start to see sports books um, start to give away offers. So, you know, it might be a simple offer that, you know, my uncle would be able to understand because he's never bet before. But, oh, you know, if this guy wins, I would get, you know, eight times my money. But if he also finishes in the top 10, I get X amount of free bets. Like I, I could actually understand that. And that would incentivize me to start betting on a normal basis. It's not something that's so foreign to me. So I, I think that's where we need to get to in the industry, continue to educate people about what all this means. Yeah, there's also a market too for non-traditional tie-ins to the gambling space. Like you mentioned, either offers or promo codes or specials. Like the one thing that a lot of these gambling books are doing right now is customer acquisition. How do we get the biggest piece of this pie? Because generally speaking, that if you become a, now if you're like me and you have money on like eight different gambling sites, I'm more the outlier there than I think the average person would end up being. They would probably have their site and that's where they go. If it's the first one they sign up for, They'll probably end up staying with them. So if you're someone like TaylorMade or Callaway, and then you see that Golf Digest has this into the gambling road, like you're being a bridge to a lot of these equipment players, like why wouldn't someone like the big golf providers team up with DraftKings and be like, hey, if you buy this TaylorMade driver and you punch in code TaylorMade at DraftKings Sportsbook, you get like a free $300 bet or something. Right. 
No, totally. I think you're going to start to see traditional um, golf companies like the equipment manufacturers do that. I think there's been a couple of giveaways uh, that you know we've done that other places have done that you know you enter this contest and you get a free driver if you win. So you know there's low risk for that, and anyone can understand that. Oh, I win a free $500 driver. Why, why wouldn't I try that? I'll pick a random golfer and he might win. How cool! Um, so yeah, I think you make a great point in customer acquisition. I think you know people want to email addresses is huge. Uh, you know, getting information on people that you could then sell um, is kind of where uh, the digital media world is going. So uh, I think you're hitting on a lot of interesting things there. Uh, the next thing up is what happens when Tiger is done. Oh, come on. Why would you bring such a thing up like that? We're well, having a nice conversation when uh, Tiger is done. Come on. Yeah, well, I mean, eventually we're going to run out of time on Tiger. He's, what, 45 now? But he, he looks, I mean, he's looked so good, um, maybe besides Riviera, but he, he looks like the old Tiger. He ain't done anytime soon. No, I, I agree. I'm not even th- talking about, like, this year or next year. Like, let's say when he's in the stage of his career where Phil is right now. And he's 49, he's 50, maybe twice a year, Tiger can spike somewhere and look really good. But most of the time, like he's not going to be very good because he's an old man. Uh, that tends to be what happens, even with the most elite and best golfers of all time. As it pertains to trying to build up stars, it seems like the networks decided that Ricky and Jordan Spieth were going to be the next wave of big stars, which is really weird because Rory was the best one of all of them. Mm-hmm. And currently, like, Brooks has been the most successful of everyone. But those guys don't get the pub like Ricky and Jordan Spieth do. Maybe it's, like, the best marketing decision Ricky Fowler ever made was, like, wear orange all the time. Good thing he went to Oklahoma State. It just kind of right. translated naturally. But he pops off the screen. Kids really like Ricky Fowler. And Spieth mm-hmm. seemed to be perfect. You know, homegrown, American guy, super nice, winning majors. And it turns out that maybe he's not the best. So how do you actually grow this next wave? Because I was talking about the broadcast. Like, they should be periodically. They should make their own identifications of these players and show them, like, when they cut away to Tiger when he's 25 over par, maybe they should be cutting to Rom or Cantlay or Bryson or whoever it is. Who do you think the actual best guys to like build around would be if you're thinking about the longevity of what happens after Tiger? Yeah, interesting. Um, I think, first of all, I think the tour is in such a good place, just interest wise, that, you know, even if Tiger decided tomorrow that he's going to retire from professional golf, God forbid. Um, I think the level of interest is so high. And we saw that even when Tiger, um, you know, had those couple down years, you know, with his surgery and all, and wasn't really playing. I think the level of interest just PGA tour wise was so great. So um, from a golf perspective, Tiger, and I'm talking like recreational golf, I think Tiger does so much to move the needle you know, golf courses see that equipment manufacturers see that there's just such a level of interest that goes up when Tiger Woods is playing. So, um, you know, I think that's where that effect would be felt the most. And, you know, everyone says there's never going to be another Tiger Woods is probably right because, you know, when he came onto the scene, you know, he was just so different of a level of superstar in sports and transcended everything for, you know, 20 plus years. And still is. I mean, the Masters was Golf Digest's, you know, biggest traffic day, um, you know, in so long. And, you know, he's so good for business when Tiger Woods is around. But, um, you know, back to your original point, you know, Ricky and Spieth are kind of struggling a little bit. 
I, I don't necessarily know that broadcasts, you know, shine a special light on them anymore. I think. Oh yes. Listen, there's no reason for CBS at Riviera to be showing Jordan Spieth four over par, making approach shots on dude, the 17th. Well, when he's in a tie for 57th. Fair, but I think there's a level of intrigue now because he is struggling. So people want to see like what is wrong with him, you know, and why isn't he playing well? Maybe they should have not showed his chip shot uh, when he's four over par and showed Harold Varner's tee shot on the 10th hole. <laughs> and I think we could both agree there, but. But, um, it, but, but it's not even like a Harold Varner problem because I get why they don't show Harold Varner as much, although they were showing him everywhere at the very beginning when he got up to the hot start, then he just fell off mm -hmm. the face of the earth and they stopped showing him completely. But it's the bigger names that I'm concerned about. Like, if you want to build up new stars, you have to make an argument to the audience that these are people worth watching. And it feels like they don't do that to any of the new stars. Like, Morikawa, for example. Morikawa's really good, he's American, mm -hmm. he's really young, and he's had a lot of success on the PGA Tour so far in his young career. By cutting away to him, even when he was making a run at Riviera, they didn't cut away to him. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, he ended up, like, five-putting and taking himself out of it. But, like, why aren't we periodically checking in with him? Like, why wouldn't you want to get, like, a... At least make your audience familiar with a 22-year-old American player who could be the number one player in the world at some point. Yeah, I, I think that's you know a fair point. And I think to connect people with these the new stars of the game, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, you know, you kind of have to show their personality a little bit. And I think it's on the player too to kind of reveal a little personality. I think Spieth and Ricky did a really good job of letting people in and um, people believing like they could understand who they who they were. And um, I think that's why they kind of grew their following. I think. Um, Rory has done a good job of that. I think he's in a position now. He's world number one. Um, I think he's a very likable guy. Uh, always, you know, good with the media, the, the golf Twitter people love when Rory talks, anything he says, they eat up. Um, I think, you know, an interesting thing too, is the whole Kepka Bryson thing. And, um, you know, the, the villain, uh, making someone a villain within golf, you have Patrick Reed, you know, with the whole bunker situation at the hero. I mean, when Peter Costas came out and said something last week about Patrick Reed, I mean, that was like everyone clicked on that article um, and, and listened to the No Laying Up podcast. So I think like once you kind of have some like real conversation around these pros, that's when people feel like they're connected. So, you know, it's on, you know, golf media folks like you know, Golf Digest and other, you know, CBS, NBC to tell the story of Colin Morikawa and tell the normal golfer, you know, why should we care about Colin Morikawa? Who is this guy? You know, give us a little story behind his life. But it's also, you know, these guys are storytellers now too with social media. It's so easy to get their story across that, you know, they could maybe be doing a better job to market themselves. So, you know, we could kind of feel like we get to know them as well. Yeah, and I think that we need to, like, Ian Poulter is a really good divisive figure in the world of golf. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not a bad guy whatsoever, but Americans hate him because of the Ryder Cup. I think that's a great angle to play. Like, I love Patrick Reed. I love that he, like, cheats. I think that's hilarious and that people get really triggered about it. I think that's great for, and people will argue the exact opposite. That is the worst thing that could potentially happen to the PGA Tour. These are generally, like, golf purists, and I'm not, so I don't really give a shit. I just think it's fun to watch. It's fun yeah. to watch these storylines. When Brooks is an asshole to people, I think it's funny. I think it's good for the game, at least amongst people like me who to tune in to watch and pay attention to something other than who I bet on this week. Like, that's a story I will right. go click on. 
And I know that I'm probably on the wrong end of that in terms of the majority who would do something to that effect. Well, but, I would say, like, you know, even to that, you know, Patrick Reed, you, you like him, you're going to tune in when he's playing just in case he does something like that. And you want to see what he's going to do next. I think even if you if you're a golf purist and you can't stand him, you know, hurting the game like that, um, you're also going to tune in even if you don't like it, because, you know, you want to see, um, you know, you might be mad about what he does, but you want to be part of the conversation that when he does something bad, then, you know, you're kind of knowledgeable about it. But it also relies on these guys being good as well. Like if Patrick Reed sucked, no one would care. No one would care, right. But but like if he's constantly in the mix for Ryder Cups, or I mean he's a Masters champion, if he can get back in the mix at the Masters, how incredible would that how incredible would that be this year? That if it came down to it, it's like Rory's going for the Grand Slam, Reed mm-hmm. is one back, Brooks is in it, and Tiger's in it. Like if we had to kind of figure out the Masters, if you had if you could program right now the final three groups of the Masters to achieve the highest television ratings, who would be in those three groups? Man, I love that question. Um, obviously, Tiger. Obviously, Phil. Rory going for the Grand Slam. Um, Brooks. Uh, Wait, does, does Brooks move the needle enough for people, do you think? Because I don't know yeah. if he does or not. Yeah, I don't think he does either. You're right. Um but I think if he was in a group with like Bryson and Patrick Reed, then that's a different story. Cause um, you know, now he's partly a villain. Cause I think at Beth page, when he uh, ran away with it at the PGA, you know, I don't know how exciting that was. And the New York fans got in his ear and were screaming at him. And that, <laughs> I think that pissed a lot of golf purists off too. But um, I think from a, you know, just general interest, I think you're right. He, he's not quite at that level because I don't know if he, has done a great job of letting people in. I think, you know, he's more active on Instagram, you know, over the last year, the whole body issue, which was its own thing. And Jenna Sims, I mean, he's somewhat of an intriguing character, I think, obviously not on the level of a tiger or a Phil, but I think, it, you know, he's won four majors in, you know, a two plus year span. Uh, so to have him going for another major with Rory, um, and him and Bryson obviously have their little feud, which I think I'm with you and Feinberg. I think they, they kind of play off of that just because, because they know that gets people talking. I don't know how much they actually despise each other, but you know, it gets everyone talking about it. Um, so, so we, we would have Tiger and like Tiger and Phil playing together with the lead on Sunday is the optimal scenario here, which is not great because you have one guy who's 45 and one guy who's 50. So sure. That's kind of where we're leaning here, but that everyone would tune into that. Like that would be fantastic. Rory, Ricky, Spieth, someone else. Yeah. Um, Maybe it is Brooks. Maybe it's Bryson. Maybe one of those guys, Patrick Reed, I think, you know, maybe it probably is Patrick Reed. Yeah. Being a past champion and you know, how divisive a character he is. I mean, Twitter would explode if he's, you know, in the mix at the Masters this year. I think so. Which is weird because that leaves off someone like Dustin Johnson, who's basically been the best player on earth for five years. And no one cares about him. It's weird. Yeah, I I think he's like generally likable by most of the golf public. But, you know, he's kind of in that Brooks category that they're so talented and they, you know, have won a lot. DJ hasn't won majors like Brooks has, but um you know, there's just not the personality that has allowed us to connect with him. And that's not these guys' fault. Like their job is to go out and win golf tournaments and win money and, you know, have a fun life. And those two guys have done a great job of that. Um, 
So I don't, I don't want to blame them. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, um, you know, people haven't necessarily connected with them the way that we've connected with other stars and other sports, maybe. Yeah. And it would be better too that in that mix, even if it was like in the final five pairings kind of thing, like I feel like Patrick Cantlay got a really good bump by making that run on Sunday last mm-hmm. year that he just became like, oh, this guy's really good. Xander was very much the same way. Like Xander mm-hmm. had the top tens of the U.S. Open. He had played well in majors. But there's a big discrepancy amongst the public between what happens at the Masters and what happens at the rest of the majors. Is that fair? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I would say that golf, you know, explodes during the Masters and explodes during the other majors, but um, especially the Masters. I think because the casual sports fan might not really pay attention to the PGA or the, uh, the open championship, but they're definitely watching the masters if there's intrigue and if tigers in a duel with some of the best players in the world down the stretch, then, you know, people are talking about it and they're tuning in. I mean, last year's masters was so good and even take tiger out of the equation. You had such a duel with Molinari and Kepka and Cantlay and Webb Simpson. It was, I think we take for granted how exciting it was down the stretch. Uh, and then you had Tiger Woods, you know, going for another green jacket. It, it was so good. If we could have something even close to that level, it'll be a successful Masters this year. And, and you forget that people love a good meltdown. And Molinari melted down. His career has been like off the rails ever since. Since that now he's 150 to one to win at Riviera. It's crazy. Yeah. So the other, there's two guys, I think in particular, that the PGA Tour should really be trying to build up because I think they're going to be really good for a really long time and they're really young. You mentioned sort of that new wave of guys, you know, the Morikawas, Wolfs, Sung J M, uh, Victor Hovland, all great players. Uh, people are kind of aware that Justin Thomas and Xander Scheifele are really good players as well. But there's two that I think that are just going to be stars and it's Rom and it's Bryson. And you can yeah. build, and like they have real personalities too. Like Bryson's kind of a dweeb, but you know, he's getting yoked at the gym just so he can hit it farther. And Rom just has like, Rom is so good and people give him so much shit all the time for like not winning, despite the fact that he wins all the time. And he just like loses his mind all the time. Like he's great TV. Yeah, totally. I think Rom, you know, the golf purists probably don't like Rom, you know cursing under his breath and throwing his putter at his bag but that's great, great though that's great then make him make him the european everyone hates yes yeah i mean he could be and i think he's on his way to being the next sevy you know that next great Ryder cup player uh you know that personality is a little divisive kind of like ian poulter um but you know on a on a different planet than ian poulter no offense to poulter but rom has the potential i think you're right to be that next great star um and we didn't mention Justin Thomas before. I think he's kind of separating himself, you know, to be on that Kepka Rory, uh, yeah. you know, upper but the, the thing is like Tom, it's, it's not surprising that Thomas and Spieth are pals because like what, if you had to describe Justin Thomas, like personality wise, how could you even do that? Like his only, his only real attribute, a lot like Spieth was that he won a lot and that's always going to take, precedence because you'll see you'll be on tv people will see you in the final group but there's nothing interesting about justin Mm. thomas yeah i I think to the normal sports fan you're probably right i think you know if you if you listen to his interviews if you read his stuff if you listen to no laying ups interviews with him i think he's a very thoughtful guy i think um you know he's pretty respectful to to everybody and um you know he wins a lot he's very talented you know, maybe he's not the personality that connects people. But again, like we were saying, it's not 
his fault necessarily. He's just no. It, it, it's and it's also like well, his his actual composure is probably what makes him really good. But in terms mm. of trying to sell like a new wave of players, that's why I think that Rom and Bryson are really the two. Like they're both good, not as good as Justin Thomas, but maybe they can get to that level. But the big thing is too, like Justin Thomas is twenty six; he's super young. I think that people believe that John Rom is like thirty seven years old. He's twenty fucking five. <laughs> right? Yeah, because he you know was on the scene while while he was still at. ASU and you know was finishing top five at the waste management uh so he's been out there for five years but no you're right um I, I think this could be a big year for Rom he was my pick to win the Masters I, I still think you know he could do that he hits that high ball flight um you know his short game isn't on the level of others maybe his scrambling stats aren't uh you know elite yet but I think you know just the way he hits the ball um you know, he should do well at Augusta. So I'm with you. I, I would love to see Rom um, be that next star and kind of separate himself. Yeah, back-to-back -to -back top 10s at Augusta the past two seasons for John Rom, And I think that he has improved his short game. But here's the sneaky thing about you're around the green play. If you just hit every green, it doesn't matter. Yeah, very good point. That's the key. That's the Keegan Bradley approach to things. Or when Corey Connors won, that was the big approach. Like the guy loses 20 strokes around the greens every week. But hey, if you hit 71 out of 72 greens in regulation, that doesn't matter anymore. Right. And yeah, I mean, we've seen Sergio play well there. He's not the best scrambler in the world. Uh, you know, just hit every green and keep it, you know, bomb it out there a decent bit and you, you could play well at Augusta. Uh, one of the stories that I read on golf digest recently was about i forget who the player was because i have a you know very poor memory for things that happened like not three seconds ago but it was about a i believe it was a european tour player who was like struggling with mental health stuff and a while ago and this usually comes up about one guy in particular jason day uh, about like an injury report in golf and i've always said that like it's impossible to tell like what what is an injury report if jason day says ah my own my back hurts what does that mean like, does that mean mm -hmm. he's not going to play? Does it mean he is going to play? Like, he's claimed that before and then went out and won that week. So it just seems like information you don't need to know. But, like, remember, uh, I think, was it Chris Kirk or Billy Horschel? I don't want to get this wrong. But, like, they took, like, six months off because of, like, alcoholism to get dry. Like, no, yeah. no, one, no right. one knew that. Um, mm -hmm. Should we know more about this, especially if gambling is going on? Like, is that a next step? Or is that always just something where this is an individual sport that we're just never going to know? Yeah, it's tricky because it's not like a team sport. So you're kind of relying on the players to be upfront. And I think a lot of golfers are, you know, dealing with something ongoing. You know, Kepka came out and said his knee's never going to be 100%. Uh, Day is, oh, he would always be questionable, I think, on, on an injury report. Um, that, that's interesting. Um, and I think Mike Lorenzo Vera uh, was, was the guy you're, you're yes. referring to with the mental health. Um, yeah, I think with betting becoming such a mainstream thing from the PGA Tour, I, I think it would be smart to do that. Um, I don't see anything stopping the tour from doing that. And it would obviously help from a DFS standpoint. But, the, Louis, but, but, but here's the thing, though. Like, I, I don't actually know if it would help or not is the problem. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, like, what is an injury report when it pertains to golf? Like, remember, like. When Brian Westbrook was on my fantasy team like 12 years ago, he was questionable every single week. He always ended mm -hmm. up playing. So if you're Jason Day and you do say, I have a bad back, like what does that actually tell me? Yeah. With Jason Day specifically, I don't think it tells you anything. Yeah. So I, I just don't know if it's important enough. 
Like it would be important if we had 100% accuracy on this stuff, whether a guy was going to play or if he was legitimately injured. But Brooks can say his knee hurts. So he can go into the Augusta and say that his knee hurts. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't like want to pick him to win. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, maybe just a little heads up when a guy's going to withdraw so then he doesn't mess up your six-for-six six lineup. Uh, I think that would be a good good first step. Yeah, I, I, that would be the most important part, and that's probably the only part where it actually matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. totally. Do you have any questions for me? I told you to, to prepare something if, if you wanted to talk about it, if I've left anything off. I think I hit on everything that I wanted to. Yeah, I don't think so. No, I mean, uh, you know, you're uh, part of our Golf Digest column, so I wonder uh, – you know, where you see that going, um, you know, if you think it's successful and maybe some advice, you know, we're new to the the golf podcast world. I've been listening to your show for, you know, five years now. So I wonder, uh, you know, what learnings you could share with a fellow podcaster. Uh, I think it's more of a social thing because I get tagged in the stuff on like Instagram and I see it and it says like, hey, to see the full article, go to the thing and swipe up. And no one actually does that. Uh, so the commentary that gets left around the gambling column seems it's like, oh, the, all these guys do is pick losers, which is true because that's <laughs> not how golf entirely. Gambling. No, not entirely. And that's how golf gambling works, obviously. But like there needs to be some sort of like filling in there to like teach those people who don't know what the hell is going on. Of I, I, it's really hard to articulate for me in this sense. Like, do, do you know what I'm saying though? Like, when you look at those comments below yeah, it, I've looked I, at the comments, and you know, you, you can't get too uh focused on them. Obviously, you know, you've been in yeah. this space for so long, but uh, no, I mean, people don't click the articles, they don't see that you know, we pick the first seven out of 10 tournaments right this season, they just see. Oh, you know, Pat Mayo picked, you know, another guy who missed the cut. Oh, what the hell is wrong with Golf Digest doing that? You're right. Putting maybe putting a record onto that, uh, and you're referring to the the Instagram post that we put up, referring people back to the main article. Maybe if you put on that uh picture, you know, hey, we're seven out of sixteen so far this year, that would help. Yeah, I, I think the bigger thing is the pe- the thing that people don't understand. And maybe this goes back to the education part that we talked about. And if you're tr- like trolling for Instagram comments, then you know your Instagram is actually the better of the social medias yeah. as it pertains to like people not being the, like biggest pieces of shit in the world. It's actually like, kind of positive from time to time, which is nice. But yeah. like if I like I picked Bryson for WGC Mexico, so did I think that he had the best chance of winning? No but I liked his odds the best. So Bryson, 28 to one. It's that part that I think that gets lost on people is why am I picking? Why is this my one pick when I could just pick Rory every time? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You're talking about value specific yes. to those odds. And like, I'm talking yeah. about what I think the best bet is versus mm-hmm. over who I just think objectively is going to win. Right. And I, I think you're right. That speaks to, you know, golf digest doing a better job of educating, you know, the normal golfer, the normal consumer of our content. So I hope that's where we get to in the next couple of years. And, um, you know, with people's help of, you know, helping us drive the conversation and it, you know, you could see it too, where, where we've gone, um, from three or four years ago, how this was kind of like something you didn't want to talk about on the mainstream. And, um, you know, you've done a great job with your show and I hope that, you know, golf digest could say the same thing three or four down three or four years down the road that we've, you know, made leaps and bounds in the space. All right, Stephen Hennessy, tell everyone where they can follow you on the social medias and tell us what uh, maybe something we don't know that's coming out of Golf Digest soon. Let's see. Uh, so my 
My handle is S underscore Hennessy GD. Yeah, you might want to change that, man. <laughs> I know. Who who has an underscore in 2020? It's terrible. But you know, I'm an editor. I'm I'm a content guy. I'm not necessarily a social guy. Um let's see, coming down the road from Golf Digest. I mean, a lot of interesting things. We have a new uh instruction app uh coming out with Golf Digest schools. So that'll be cool. Um yeah, just continue to follow our betting content, especially because, you know, that's your audience. So I would love if people gave us feedback, things that we're doing that, you know, they might see how we could improve upon. Um, Cause we want to be kind of the voice of the people just like you've been. So um, yeah, but I guess that's kind of it. B- bit of advice on this one. When you ask yeah. for feedback from the people, it's always negative. Yeah, that's true. Be careful what you wish for, yeah. right? Yeah, you'll get a ton of it and you'll be like, oh God, oh, I, I, I did not need to see this. Anyway, thank that's you so fair. much. For, thanks so much for the time and thank you for being on. For me, you can follow me at the PME, Twitter, Instagram, the Facebooks, and you can always subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience. If you do, subscribe and leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, and something you enjoy about this show You'll be in a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars. I suggest you do that. I don't remember what the giveaway was for the video, but I said it at the beginning of the show, so go do that. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.